The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. We have baptisms coming up. Easter Sunday, uh, probably at both gatherings. We've got a number of folks who have signed up to be baptized so far. And so uh, I would just say to you, if you haven't been baptized, if you have questions about baptism, uh, we would love to talk with you about that. And so you can do the same thing. Go fill out a Connect card uh, or on our website, there's a thing called the Info Hub. You can click that. There's a button uh, for baptisms. But we'd love for you to at least sign up and have a conversation um, it's going to be really, really fun to baptize uh, a bunch of people on Easter Sunday, so don't miss that opportunity. Also, you, you know that I've been mentioning, I, I hate that we're doing this uh, at the beginning of the services, but uh, we've been mentioning week after week, uh, trying to, um, our, our goal to renovate the rest of this building and our need to raise a little bit of funds for that. Um, so I want to let you know, uh, we've had uh, a family contact us and um, uh, out of just an abundance, a humbling act of generosity, they want to offer a dollar-to-dollar match for everything that comes in between now and uh, that 16th of April. Okay, so we got almost a month here. Um, we're still needing probably 140000 or so. So if you raise 50, they'll match it. If you raise 60, they'll match it. That's amazing, right? Praise God. So get out your pocket. But yeah, that's right. We can give the Lord a hand for that. Like you mean it. Uh, so uh, you, if you know me, and, and most of you do, um, if you've been around our church for any length of time, you know I'm not about trying to manipulate and twist money out of people. So many people have a bad taste about Christianity in their mouth because of that. We're not about that. Um, but there's a need in our family to raise some money so that we can finish out the renovations here, including the offices, uh, the toddler restroom, kitchenette, uh, a new HVAC unit for in here, because when it gets warm, it's going to get warm, you know what I'm saying? So there's a few things we're trying to do, and uh, by God's grace, the money is being provided. So if you are able to give towards that, and I think everybody can give a little something, if everybody contributes, I think we'll have plenty uh, to do everything that we need to do in this space. So praise God for that. Um, Final thing, we're going to be welcoming more covenant members again this morning, so we're really thankful for that. We'll be doing that each week And uh, if you haven't filled out an application and you were part of that initial process as uh, Missio and uh, Bent Creek came together, I want to make sure you get those applications in quickly here. Okay, I think that's all the commercials for now. So we've been in a series um, trying to learn. So let me back up. In the the beginning of the year, the first six weeks, we, we tried to learn from the scriptures about what kind of church we thought the Lord was calling us to become here at Steadfast. In these last several weeks, as we've been in this series called Witness and Warning, we are trying to find out from Scripture what kind of church not to become by God's grace, right? Uh, We're learning from both the witness of these churches and God's warning uh, through John to these churches. And, And so the book of Revelation, if you're new around here, is weird. A lot of symbolism and imagery. Um, We are not weirdos, at least not most of us. But... In the beginning of this letter, um, the first few chapters, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus standing amidst his churches 
and commending them where they've done well and correcting them where they've gone off course. And we have something to learn from that. I, I, I think, I hope, this series so far has been helpful and beneficial and challenging and encouraging to you. And so these letters, there's seven of them, uh, we're on the fifth one today. Um, they were written for those churches, but they're also for us because they're collected in the scriptures. So we have something to learn from each church. And we'll, we'll, we've seen encouragement, we've seen critique, we've seen Jesus' comfort towards those churches. And sometimes, like today, we see outright rebuke. So um, buckle up <laughs> is what I have to say about that. So we're gonna be in Revelation chapter three. We're looking today at the church at Sardis. And so um, the first six verses of Revelation chapter three, uh, I'm gonna read them, I'll pray for us and we'll dive in here. Revelation chapter three, starting in verse one, says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, um, we are grateful to be gathered together in this room this morning under the authority of your word and in the presence of your Holy Spirit. I know that this week for many um, has been exceedingly challenging. And many of us need encouragement today. And I pray that you would, through this word, even encourage those who are weak and weary and exhausted, but there are many others of us who are, who are weary and sleepy. And I pray today that you would rouse us, that you would wake us up, that you would revive uh, the deadness of our souls, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And so would you be kind and gracious to us this morning as we open this word, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, please use me to deliver the truth of your word to your people, even if it hurts a little bit. But you know I love these people and you love these people. And so help us to hear the truth with love this morning. I pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, so um, as I've done before, I wanna give you a little bit of context about this city of Sardis. Uh, Sardis was 
founded somewhere between 2000 and 1500 BC. So it was inhabited for a very, very long time. It was a large and affluent city located in between Thyatira and Philadelphia. Ryan, do you happen to have that map? I should have asked you earlier. If you have it and can pop it up real quick, that'd be great. But if not, no problem. Um, as, as we looked at those seven churches, it's in between two of them, about 30 miles in, uh, in between a couple of them. And it was located on the King's Road. It's actually a road in the Persian Empire that went between Sardis and the city of Susa. Okay, so it had grown in wealth and influence. You can see there Sardis uh, in between Thyatira and Philadelphia. And, um, and so there was a rumor at one point of gold in the river there. And so they had sort of a gold rush, like we saw in California in the 1800s, and the city grew in wealth and importance. It's actually where uh, gold and silver coins were first minted in around 500 BC. Because of some geographical boundaries, it had a, a large sort of mountain outcropping that acted sort of like a natural wall. Because of that, um, the city was considered impenetrable, or at least they thought so. But at least two different times in their history, uh, they were conquered in the dark of night. And in 17 AD, there was an earthquake that pretty much leveled the city, but it was rebuilt. But it wasn't quite what it used to be. And so this is an important city. Um, and Jesus addresses the city here. I want you to see uh, in this first verse, we'll just look at verse one again. Um, my first point is Jesus confronting the lifeless. We're gonna see that here. In just a second, Jesus confronting the lifeless, verse one, to the angel of the church at Sardis, write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, as I've mentioned, Revelation's full of symbolism and imagery. When he's mentioning here the seven spirits and the seven stars, it, it can be a little confusing. He doesn't mean that there are, there are literally seven spirits. This is actually a reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in, the, in the Bible, particularly in Revelation, seven is the number of fullness or the number of completion. You think about creation, right? God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. So seven is the, the, uh, the number of fullness or completion. This is actually a, a reference, I believe, back to uh, the book of Isaiah. There's a messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Well, many of them, but there's one in particular uh, in chapter 11. And I just want to read it for you really quickly says that you, should, you probably are familiar with this part. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. We've heard this, many. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Now here's the part you might not have heard before. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. I ran out of fingers. And the fear of the Lord. That's seven Seven aspects, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus is saying, I have the fullness of God's spirit upon me. The one who has the, the seven spirits, the fullness of the spirit. And then he says to the, and the seven stars. Now in Revelation chapter one, he already told us that the stars are the angels, meaning maybe the literal angels who are over these churches, maybe the pastors of these churches, but in any case, a, a representative who will communicate to the churches. But here's something else I found interesting this week. Some of you might nerd out on this. Under the rule of Domitian, the Roman emperor at this time, the coins that were issued under Domitian had his mug on the front of them. And if you flip to the back of the coin, there's a picture of his son who had died at three years old. And his son, he deified his son. And he was called the son of Domitian, the son of God. 
And the picture of this, the son of Domitian was him sitting on a globe with two hands open and there were seven stars under his hands. So catch what Jesus is saying. I am the true son of man and son of God. The Roman emperors, see, they like to pretend they're God, but I am God. I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and is alive for forevermore. I am truly divine and sovereign. I am the creator and the sustainer of all things who indeed holds the whole world in his hands. And so he speaks to the church here. And there's no commendation, is there? Many of these other letters, we've seen him praising them for being faithful or for enduring or for holding fast. There's no commendation here. There's no praise. There's no encouragement. There's no comfort. He simply says to them, I know your works. He says, I see your reputation. This, is, this um, word translates literally as name. You have a name in the city. You have a reputation. You have notoriety. You have influence. Everyone thinks that you are a church that is alive but you're dead. In other words, the whole city has heard of you, church at Sardis. You got killer branding. You got a great website. You're active in the community. There's a lot of stuff on your calendar. You got a big building, literally, as they've excavated, they have found one of the biggest uh, early church buildings in existence. They had a big building. They got money in the bank. They, maybe their band had albums. Their pastor had a book deal. It might have been the it church for the notable figures of the day in Sardis. This church is impressive by almost every standard, except the one that matters the most, the standard of Christ. He says, you've got almost no pulse. You know, sometimes we're, we're unaware of our own spiritual condition, aren't we? Sometimes we're unaware of our own physical condition. How many of us have been diagnosed with sleep apnea or diabetes or even cancer? And we had no idea. I mean, there's something a little bit kind of up, but it's not a big deal. And then you get a diagnosis, right? Jesus says, you, you are dying and you don't even know it. Now, how can that be? How can a church that is seen from afar as so vibrant and vital and, and with so much going on, how can it be dead. Um, I think this text will, will pull out and um, history sort of confirms, although we don't have this, um, it's not definite, but here's the suspicion, and I think it's true, that for many of the members of the church at Sardis, it was easier for them to keep a low profile and to sort of adopt the views and the position of the, the city of Sardis rather then bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom and endure hardship and pain and suffering for it. You notice in this passage, there's no mention of the church at Sardis facing opposition or hardship or persecution as many of the other churches that we've looked at have. And if you remember back to a few weeks ago, uh, I said that the church at um, Pergamum was sort of flirting with bad doctrine and adopting worldly practices. The church uh, last week at Thyatira had embraced them to the point that they were teaching them and, and the church here at Sardis it is so essentially in bed with the culture that there's no distinction between the two. There's no difference. 
They faced no pressure from the outside because there was nothing peculiar about the people on the inside. So, so it made me wonder, as we kind of get into this, just in what ways we have as individual believers or even as a church become too much like the city of Asheville. And I don't, I don't mean specifically like giving ourselves over to, you know, craziness and sin and, and um, weird spirituality and all the kind of stuff that's typical of this place. I mean that, that, that Christians are supposed to be known for our holiness, for our humility, for our honor of other people as image bearers of God, for our love, for our mercy, for our forgiveness, for our unity, for our indescribable joy, for our courage. Are we distinct from the world around us or do we look just like everybody else? See, we're supposed to be in the world, just not of it. We're supposed to look like everybody else, but be radically different. Can you tell the difference? And so Jesus here is confronting the lifelessness of the church at Sardis. But he goes on, and I'm sure you're just so excited for him to go on. <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? This is a hard one. But there's, there's gold in the hard things. Look with me at verses two and three. I want you to see here. Jesus challenging the complacent. Jesus challenging the complacent. Look what he says in verse two. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. This went from bad to worse, didn't it? Jesus is challenging the complacent. Wake up. Like trying to rouse a teenager on the first day of spring break. Don't ask me how I know. The, the, the word here can also be translated as be alert, right? Stay on guard. Be alert. Wake up. Be aware. And the, the, uh, I, don't even know how you know how, I don't even know how you say this, the Sardis people. The sardines. Can we call them that? The sardines. <laughs> they should have known better. I already mentioned to you that twice in their history, they were conquered in the middle of the night. Do you know why they were conquered? Because their guards were asleep. One guy was sleeping so soundly that his Roman helmet fell off and went down a trail. He went to get it and the enemy found out where the secret trail is because they watched him. They opened the gate, let everybody in and they conquered the city of Sardis. So they should have known better, but they were overconfident. Right? Our city's impenetrable. Our church is impenetrable. See? Overconfident, which leads to becoming comfortable, which can lead to complacency. So Jesus says, strengthen what remains. See, despite their outward appearance, there are some things in this church that have not been exercised in so long that they're atrophied like muscles. There, there are some massive weaknesses in this congregation. And so he's saying, hey, you need a workout, right? We need to work these muscles out again. We need to strengthen them because the lights are about to go out. This thing's about to get shut down. 
And I can imagine the church at Sardis looking at all their wealth and opulence and money in the bank and big building and rock and band and all that going, what do you mean, Jesus? Why are you, why are you rebuking us? Why are you um, scolding us? We haven't done anything. And he would go, exactly. Exactly. There's no heart in this church. There's no passion. There's no true worship. There's no dependence on the Lord. There's no prayer to ask God to do what only God can do. There's no sense of urgency about the mission of God. No one is sharing the gospel. No, no baptisms are happening. No disciples are being made. And the people in the church, can you believe this, are content with just going through the motions of church while the world burns. Jesus says, wake up. Now, here's, here's how I think it happens. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to any church. Over time, we stop paying attention both to our hearts and to our habits. Over time, we, we, we stop paying attention. And so conviction, deeply held conviction, gives way to complacency. Does it even matter anymore? Everybody knows we believe that. We don't have to hold it, right? Devotion gives way to distraction. There's a million other things in the world that vie for our attention and our affection. And so we, we, we have hearts that are divided. We have hearts that become cold. And often, and you know this, we are so good at lulling ourselves to sleep, the enemy doesn't even need to help us. I also notice in this passage, the last couple weeks, um, Jesus has mentioned that the oppression that the churches are facing uh, or the false teaching that's infiltrated is directly connected to satanic oppression, but here there's no mention of the enemy. This church doesn't need the enemy's help. They're doing just fine on their own, walking away from Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if, if that description is true of you this morning. That you have slowly and subtly drifted into comfort, into complacency, into coldness. That there's, there's no wonder about the things of God anymore. There's no amazement who Jesus is and what he's done, what he continues to do. There's no affection for the things of God in the deepest places of our hearts. There's no urgency about spiritual things or about the mission of God. We're just sort of going through the motions because we've always gone through the motions. Jesus is saying to any of you sleepy souls this morning, wake up. What, there's too much on the line, okay? This isn't like spring break, so just get up early so you don't waste the day away. This is like, there's important stuff to do. And Jesus loves you too much to let you sleep until eternity. And so there's two things in this text that he, he calls his church to, uh, to remember and to repent. You see it right here. 
Verse three, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember and repent. He says first to remember what you have received and heard and keep it. He's speaking, of course, about the gospel. Remember what you have received and heard. What you received and heard is the gospel message. Paul makes a big deal about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, doesn't he? He says it's of first importance that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that Jesus was buried according to the scriptures, that Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is of first importance, this gospel. And and, and I'm speaking mostly to Christians. I know most of you in the room are Christians, but I wonder, do you, and this is why, like on the membership application that we've been asking everybody to do, we ask you, if you had to explain the gospel, what would you say? What is the gospel? And we ask that because I want to know that the gospel truths, the message of this life, death, and resurrection of Jesus doesn't just resonate with you in some way, but that you are fluent enough in the language of the gospel to articulate it that it moves you, that you're passionate about it, that that there's something that stirs in you when you think about the fact that Jesus lived a life you could not live. Perfect, sinless, tempted in every way that you are tempted, but he never gave in, he never failed. He was perfect in, in fulfilling all the righteous requirements of God's law because you can't. On your best day, you are not worthy of the kingdom apart from Jesus. Do you understand that? No amount of good works will ever get you into God's kingdom apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus and Jesus alone. No no amount of managing your sin will make you righteous before God, only Jesus. He was perfect because you can't be. Do you understand that Jesus' death was for you? that all of your failures deserve death. Your sin is cosmic treason against the God of the universe. We sort of shrug at our sin and we go, well, he's gracious, it's not a big deal. It cost Jesus his life. But he died for you because he loves you. He stood in your place and absorbed the wrath of God in your stead for your lust, for your shame, for your arrogance, for your self-righteousness, for your self-hatred, for your pride, for all of your past. And do you recognize that Jesus' resurrection from the dead was for you also? He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave for you. The Bible says that Jesus was lifted up onto the cross for our transgressions and that he was raised for our justification, meaning that you in Christ are free from condemnation. You are free from the penalty of your sin. Even now, even now, the resurrected Jesus is interceding and praying for you, the Bible says. Does that do anything in your soul? Are we in awe of this message of the gospel? Does it stir something in us? Do you remember when it did? Do you remember when you were first saved? When when, when the lights finally came on for you about who Jesus is and who you are and what Christ did for you? Do you remember the passion, the vibrancy that you had in your faith? Where'd it go? Because Jesus does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What happened to you? 
What happened to those verses that meant so much to you that you stored in your heart? That passion to lift your hands in worship, that passion to, to get down on your knees and plead for God to do what only God can do. Where did, where, where did it go? So he says, remember, remember what you received and heard and keep it, hold on tightly to it. And then he says, and repent. Now, we've talked about this a couple of times in this series. Um, repent, the Greek understanding is a change of mind. The Hebrew understanding, which Jesus was a Hebrew, he would have spoken in Aramaic or, or, or Hebrew. Um, it's, a, it's a change of direction. It's returning. Return. So, so Jesus is saying to you today, remember and return. And here's what I need you to know. God's aim in your repentance is not that you would be saddled with more religion. God's aim in your repentance is that you would be made more alive. And he's nearer than you think. And so any of you, any of you right here, any of you within the sound of my voice this morning who feel cold and numb and calloused to the things of God, and you're kind of just going through the motions because you don't have the courage to just walk away from church altogether, here's what you can do right now in your seat. You can just whisper it under your breath or even just pray it silently. Revive me. God, revive me. I think of David in Psalm 51, restore to me, O Lord, the joy of your salvation. Psalm 85, revive us again, O Lord. He's nearer than you think. And I believe if you call out to him right now and ask him to revive you, that he will answer that prayer. But you gotta listen to him and you gotta obey him. He's not gonna revive you if you wanna go on doing whatever you wanna do. You submit yourself to him. You ask him to revive you and he will meet you there. The God who has breathed life and breath into everything is willing right now to breathe new life into your soul. But for those who will remain slothful, like the sluggard in Proverbs, for those who will refuse to wake up to the reality of Christ, he says, I'm gonna come like a thief and you won't know what hour I come against you. I'm gonna shut you down like, Silicon Valley Bank. Hey, listen, one day it was open, the next day it wasn't. But you know what? The signs of unhealth were all there for a long time. God will not let his church continue indefinitely when the people inside are asleep and dead to the things of God. He sees everything. And he's calling us to remember and to repent. Now, you guys with me? I know this is challenging. You with me? Okay. Last thing I want you to see here is Jesus consoling the faithful. Jesus consoling the faithful, verses four through six. Yet, 
You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So like we've seen in other letters, this isn't everybody. Not everybody is asleep. Not everybody is cold and dead to the things of God inside the church. There are a few in Sardis. We don't know how many, but there's a few who are holding fast to Jesus. They they are not hiding their allegiance to him. They're not only living lives of vibrant and courageous faith, but they are bearing witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom in their communities, even if it costs them. And beloved, it will cost you. They're doing doing Romans 12. I'm gonna read you a little portion of Romans 12 real quick because it's so encouraging to me. Um, starting in verse nine, they're letting love be genuine. They're abhorring what is evil. They're holding fast to what is good. They're loving one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. They're not slothful in zeal. They're fervent in spirit. They are serving the Lord. They're rejoicing in hope. They're patient in tribulation. They're constant in prayer. They're contributing to the needs of the saints. They're seeking to show hospitality. They are blessing those who persecute them, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who, who weep, they are living in harmony with one another. They're not haughty, but they are associating with the lowly and on and on and on and on I could go. And here's what that tells me. The heart of a few can spark revival in the masses. Where is the faithful remnant? Where is it? Where is the faithful remnant? The, the, the people who will love Jesus, who will honor Jesus, who will obey Jesus, who will worship Jesus, who will depend wholeheartedly on Jesus, no matter what comes. I am convinced that at the end of all things, when, we are, when those of us who go to eternity, go to eternity with the Lord, that we will find out that everything that Jesus did in and through this church was because of a faithful few who were on their knees regularly for the things of God to happen in this place. Where is that remnant? Where are those faithful few who will pray and who will seek God and who will walk by faith? In fact, he says here, they will walk with me. What a promise that is that in eternity, they will walk with Jesus. That means those who walk by faith, those who walk by the spirit, those who walk in a manner worthy of their calling, those who walk in love, those who walk in the light, those who walk in wisdom, those who walk according to his commands will one day walk with him in glory. That's amazing. It's incredible. And there's, there's two other promises he gives here. Verse five, to the one who conquers, he'll be clothed in white garments. I guess there's three things. Clothed in white garments, a symbol, right, of the righteousness of Jesus that is credited to us, that's given to us by faith right now, but is sealed in eternity. He will be clothed in white garments. And listen to this. 
and I will never blot out his name or blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Now, um, if you've read the Bible, you've heard this phrase, the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. It happens, it's, it's mentioned repeatedly in the scriptures and specifically in Revelation, this is a big image. I'm not gonna read passages, but you can look at Revelation 13, Revelation 17, Revelation 20, Revelation 21. And here's what we find out about the, the book of life that the names of all those who will believe in Jesus alone for salvation were inscribed in the book of life before the foundations of the world. Which means that those who endure to the end, those who stay faithful to Jesus to the end, their names do not get blotted out. They're there, they're already there. Your name is in the book. I've been reflecting on that this week. A lot of challenges, a lot of hard things, a lot of stresses, a lot of pressure in my own life this week. And I keep reflecting on the fact that my name is in the book. Like I'm the worst person I know, but my name's in the book, (laughs) y'all. And like, you might be the worst person you know. You probably are, even if you don't know that you're the worst person. And listen, if you're clinging to Jesus and Jesus alone with the empty hands of faith, your name is in the book. Won't he do it? And no matter what hardships or trials you face in this life, take heart because your name is in the book. And no matter what successes or achievements you, you, you reach in this life, guess what? Nothing's better than the fact that your name is in the book. Jesus sends out the 72, Luke chapter 10, and he says, I give you authority to proclaim and to heal. They go out proclaiming the gospel and healing diseases, and they come back and they go, Jesus, it worked. <laughs> like even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he says, yeah, yeah, don't rejoice in the fact that the demons will obey. Rejoice that your names are in the book. Okay, but, but they're not just like in a phone book, right? I mean, some of you under 30 don't know this, but like there used to be this book. <laughs> that got delivered to your house. And it had the phone numbers of everybody in the city in it. You could call anybody you wanted unless they were cool and unlisted. (laughs) And Jesus in eternity is not just reading an attendance list like Ferris Bueller's day off, right? Bueller, Bueller. He knows your name. He says, I will confess his name before my father and the angels. Now, again, this word name, it's the same word as reputation. So what he's saying at the beginning of this book is, you guys have a name, you have a reputation. It's a false one. People think you're alive, but you're actually dead. But for those who stay faithful to me, those who endure to the end, I'm gonna tell my father about your real name, your real reputation. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm gonna, dec- I'm gonna say to the angels, hey, Brian, he's mine. Right, Doris, she's mine. Ruth, she's mine. Right, Gabe, he's mine. Not just this side of the room, there's some of you over here too, probably. <laughs> <laughs> They're mine, I know them, they belong to me. They mean something to me. 
I don't have time, but once again, in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, um, those who confess me before men, I will confess them before my father. But then he goes on to say, and those who deny me before men, I will deny. You see, it's those who are willing to hold fast to Jesus, to confess him before men. He says, You're, you belong to me, you're mine. I'm gonna confess you. Okay, so, so last thing, here's the question I have. We, we've looked at this several times in Revelation, who are the conquerors? Who are the overcomers he's speaking of? Those who conquer, those who overcome, who is he speaking of? Listen to this verse from 1 John chapter five. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So, what I want you to see here is Jesus is not rewarding those because of their faithfulness. They are faithful because they have believed. He, he, has, caught, he has written their name in the book. They've come to faith. They've made it to the end. And he says, you are the conquerors. We conquer because of our faith, not to earn something from God, but because he's already given it to us in Christ. Hold fast to that name. Hold fast to that name. Wake up. Rouse yourself from your slumber. Remember what he's done for you. Repent and be filled with joy. I got a few questions to ask you. We'll put them up on the screen and then we'll move into our time of response. We okay? I know that was heavy. First question. What are the signs that I have drifted into spiritual lethargy or complacency? What are some indicators in your own heart, in your own life that, that you've drifted it, that you don't have the love that you had at first, that you don't have the joy that you had at first? I mean, there's a lot of similarity between what we talked about in the church at Ephesus in week one and today, but, but this is like coldness, deadness, dullness to the things of God. What are the signs that I've, I've drifted into that? no passion, there's no urgency, there's no desire to be with God, to read his word, to pray, to, to, to be in his presence. I'm complacent, dull, don't care. Second question, how can remembering and repenting, which we've already talked about at length, bring renewal to my sleepy soul? How can remembering what Jesus has done done. And not just like Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, but like what it means that he lived, what it means that he died for you, what it means that he rose again from the grave. How can remembering that and actually repenting, turning back to him and away from your self-satisfaction and your sin, how can, how can remembering and repenting bring renewal, reviving to my dead and sleepy soul? And then third and finally, in what ways can we help one another to stay awake and alert and vibrant as a distinct witness to Jesus in our city. The church at Sardis just blended right in. They got cold and complacent and you couldn't tell the difference. How can we, how can we fight for one another to stay awake, to stay alert so that this church remains a distinct and vibrant witness for the things of Jesus here in our city and beyond? Okay, you take that to group with you, take that to brunch with you, but I hope and pray that you will consider those questions 
as we move into our time of response. I'm gonna pray for us, then we're gonna move into communion. Uh, if you haven't been here before, we celebrate communion every week uh, as a response to what we've heard in the scriptures. There's gonna be four stations here on the floor. You can come down uh, these four uh, aisles to the tables, take a piece of the bread. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows, they're clearly marked. Um, and we are, what we're doing in this moment is remembering and celebrating the fact that Jesus would love us so much that he would give himself for us, his life for ours, his death for our life, um, his brokenness for our wholeness, his blood to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. So we come to these tables in repentance and faith. If you're not a Christian, you can stay in your seats. As you make your way back, uh, go up the, the farthest aisles there. There are black boxes in the back if you're a regular and you wanna give. If you're new and you wanna be known, those connect cards or prayer request cards can go in those boxes. And then the bands can return, lead us in a few songs. Uh, and then I'll come up and welcome new members and send you out with a benediction. So let me pray. And then uh, I'll invite the band up and the uh, communion team up. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for um, the beauty and glory of what Jesus has done for us. May we never forget May we never um, be too good to repent. Let us daily examine ourselves, know whether we are in the faith, not as a fear, but as an assurance that we belong to you, that our names are written in the book of life. May we walk with you so that we will one day walk with you. Lord, we love you not nearly enough, but we love you because you loved us first and sent Christ to die for us, to live for us. And so help us to follow him closely. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Let's be still for just a moment and then.